Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews. But now, we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. I seem fun, the Diary of Jen Kirkman podcast, episode 190. There is no politics in this episode. I repeat, safe to listen to. But I did record this a few weeks before July 4th. So if anything's gone on in the world and I'm not commenting on it, and you're like, why isn't Jen saying anything about the fact that Mike Pence came out of the closet and Jared Kushner blew his nose off with a firecracker? That's why, because I don't know yet. Haters. But what I do know is that all my shows for my 2017 tour are on sale. Please buy them in advance. Oh, it'll make me so happy. Uh, you know where I'm coming. Montreal Comedy Festival off JFL. I'll be at the Mainline Theater for a few dates in July. I'll be doing a show I call Irrational Thoughts. It's not really a show. It's like a bunch of stand-up and stories that have to do with, uh, you know, crazy thoughts, we think. Uh, it's not brand new. It's stuff I've done before, but it's stuff I have never brought to Montreal. And then I will be beginning my tour on the West Coast of America in September. I'll be in San Francisco and Seattle and Portland and Vancouver and then to the East Coast, Boston and New York and Brooklyn and Philly and Washington, D.C. Then I'll go to the I don't know, Midwest area, Minneapolis, Chicago, Detroit. Then I'm hitting the South. Nashville, Asheville, Durham, Atlanta. Then we go Ohio, Columbus, Cincinnati, Cleveland. Not necessarily in that order. And then, of course, I'm in Toronto in between all of that at the Just for Laughs 42 Festival. Uh, and I will be doing the all-new Material Girl Tour since you guys saw my book tour last year. So you need some new material. Please buy those tickets in advance. They're doing this weird thing, or maybe it's a cool thing, where whoever sells out first, they get more shows added. And I'll look like a fucking loser if I don't have to add any more shows. So everything is on my website. God, I make it easy for you guys. JenKirkman.com. Click tour dates. You can also sign up for my weekly newsletter at that same website. I mean, at that same, oh God, you know what I'm saying? Get the same tab and then you go in and it says, join my newsletter. And you know. As always, at I Seem Fun Podcast on Twitter, facebook.com slash I Seem Fun Podcast. Or is it just I Seem Fun? Oh, I didn't know I was going to be announcing these. So let me look, let me look, let me look. You guys, let me, <laughs> I got it. Everyone calm down. Oh, Facebook is facebook.com slash I seem fun. Okay. And I'm part of the All Things Comedy Network. Go to allthingscomedy.com and check out all the other great podcasts. Please, guys, subscribe on iTunes. Give this podcast five stars and write a review. How about you write this for the July 4th? Um, uh, just write hashtag USA, hashtag JKL. How's that? And if you have purchased tickets for my tour, please take a picture of the ticket or of something. Uh, tell me the name of your city. Hashtag it JKTour2017. I will retweet you. I will at the venue that uh, it's for. They love that. They get so excited. 
Everyone is always like, oh my God, she's got the best social media presence. So do that. Do that for Miss JK. All right. Here's this week's episode. I see the fun. Hello, everybody. Hello, everybody. I seem fun. Hello, everybody. Sorry, I don't, I don't know what that song is. I'm just excited because I love our sponsor, Talkspace. You guys, you know you've been hearing these ads and you're like, ah, oh, so sick of hearing about therapy. I don't want to try it. Just go. I'll wait. Go to Talkspace.com. Just go. Just read about it. The online therapy company that connects you with a licensed therapist for just $32 a week. You know you want to do it. You know, you're sitting there in your room and you're like, I want to go to therapy. (sighs) All right, I'll do it. Because you can get special $30 off your first month if you use coupon code JEN. Go to Talkspace.com slash JEN, J-E-N. It's important to take care of your mental health, you guys. Health is health. Using the Talkspace smartphone app or website, you can text and audio message your therapist as much as you want. And for a reasonable additional fee, you can have a video call as well. So do your hair every once in a while. I know you're depressed. Do your hair and get on that video call. Don't lose out on my special offer. Go to Talkspace.com slash Jen or use coupon code Jen to get $30 off your first month. And to show your support for this podcast, I seem fun. All right. Here's the episode. Here's the episode. I have so many listener emails and I didn't print them out. Usually I like to print them out and I shuffle them and I, who cares, but I'm just going to scroll and point. Okay. Men bothering women. That's the title of this email. Hi, Jen. You kids, you know, I, I, a couple episodes ago or three, four, five, I talked about, uh, the way men can bother women, not just your average cat calling, but just saying things to us on the street that you're like, Okay, technically, on paper, you didn't say anything offensive. You might have said, uh, oh, it looks like you're walking. But if you go, wait a minute, let's pause. Would a straight man say that to another straight man? I don't think so. Unless you were like in your retirement community and your pa- you know, two widowed 75-year-old men are passing each other. And they're not really friends. But it's like, hey, Clark, you know, nice hat. Yes, there are exceptions. So anyway, if you don't believe me, take it from this lady who wrote me. You can say my name. Well, I didn't cut and paste her name into the document, so I don't know what her name is. Long time listener, first time writer here. I love your books, podcasts, and Netflix specials. Well, thank you. I hope everyone else does. There are so many people on Twitter who are like, I haven't bought your book yet. I'm like, excuse me. I know everybody thinks I'm all rich sitting up here in my studio apartment in Brooklyn. (laughs) But listen to me, folks. Folks. You're like, why does she live in a studio apartment in Brooklyn? Because I'm here temporarily for a job. But listen to me, folks. The the publishing company pays you a certain amount of money based on what they think you'll sell. And they pay you a third when you, before you write the book, like, thanks for the idea. If you complete the book, they give you the other third. And then when the book comes out, they give you the last third. So the amount of money, like, Ooh, that looks like a lot, but not over two years. That wouldn't even be a, the, the, it would be, I'd get a, it's not a big living. So it's extra supplemental money. I'm not only an author. I wouldn't be able to survive on it. Well, guess what? My second book didn't make back even what they gave me (laughs) and they didn't give me that much. So I'm telling you people, this is not, every time you buy a book, it's not going in my pocket. It's going back to Simon and Schuster. And then eventually if we sell more than they gave me, we'll turn a profit. And you'd be like, Oh, they must've given you $15 million. No, there were no millions. Okay. So I'm just saying, don't be sitting here, you know, uh, giving me an audit. I feel like a lot of people do that. You have enough money. No, I don't actually. I'd like more money. (laughs) Is that, is that cool to say? I'd like more money. If you could listen, I worked for free for the first 15 years. No, that's an exaggeration. The first 13 years (laughs) of this comedy cavalcade. Okay. Spent my, I spend money on my tours. You think people pay the travel in the hotel? You got to be kidding me. I pay that. I am a small business owner. I know it looks glamorous. It ain't give me your money. Now, I'm not just saying, 
I don't have one of those donate things on the podcast. You don't see that shit going on. This I say I put out some art and you put out some money. And that we even, we even, I'm just reminding everyone. I feel this, I've got something coming up this year and I feel like you guys are going to be like, what is this money grab? And I'm going to be like, no, you don't get it. I have a necklace line coming out with like a real jewelry company website. And I'm very excited about it. It's kind of aimed at the millennial market, but there'll be some for us older ladies too. And they're super fun and they're taking a giant chance on me. Uh, I don't put up any financial risk. They do all of it. And I get a small percentage if it goes well. So that would be my first foray into like, you know, jewelry and fun things. I want to get another business going because I love fashion and stuff like that. And, you know, obviously you don't just get to like get into that business, but you know, it's something to do when I'm older, when the voice goes QVC people. Anyway. All right, here we go. I don't know why I have this paranoia about it. Was everyone else gets rich. You get Amy Schumer's rich. You get these people at Chelsea Handler's. Everyone's rich. When he comes, everybody's rich. Their fans don't seem to mind, but mine take pictures of things they saw on the internet about what I'm worth, which isn't true. And they shame me. So I don't know what's happening. Let me get rich for the love of Christ. How many more things can I give you guys to buy? We don't have any money. I see you buying Starbucks every morning. All right. I finally, this is the woman who's emailed me. I know you're like, what is happening? See, this is what happens when I don't talk politics. Okay. This woman wrote me, uh, I finally feel compelled to write to you after two interactions with the male species I had last weekend while part of a bachelorette party. Both times I thought to myself, oh my God, this is such a Jen Kirkman story. Now, can I tell you a secret? I forget if I read it or if my friend and comedian Dave Hill told me this, but Dick Cavett, if you guys don't know who he is, please get to know Dick Cavett. Go on YouTube and watch his interviews. He was a talk show host in the 60s, and he had fascinating combinations of people on, and it was just conversation. It was like a podcast before podcasts, because back in the day, talk shows used to be people talking, not throwing fucking marshmallows at each other, and so it was genius. He had like Janis Joplin on a lot. I think they had a little affair. That's widely known. John and Yoko a lot. Just cool fucking people. Anyway, I read either I read it in one of Dick Cavett's memoirs or my friend Dave Hill told me because he's friends with Dick Cavett and he's so lucky and I'm jealous that Dick Cavett said he's a real stickler for writing and grammar and stuff. And he said he judges people (laughs) when they write, I thought to myself, because he says, who else could you think it to? I thought, I know it's to yourself, but I, I was self-conscious hearing that because I know I say that a lot and I might have even written it in some of my books that you can buy. (laughs) But I'm like, well, you could think aloud, but I guess unless you say that it's implied. So anyway, Dick Cavett would not like this email. I'm fine with it, but I thought that'd be like a fun story to interject. Anyway. Okay. So this back to the email. So the first one, there was a group of 13 of us out in Newport, Rhode Island to celebrate my friend getting married in June. We had reservations at a restaurant that happened to have a live musician. We did not go there for the music. Sounds like somebody didn't plan this very well. I used to do comedy shows like that. This place called the Triple Inn in New York City. Back in the day, you know, late 90s, us kids. And, uh, fuck, it was like a 10 o'clock show run by Adam and Susie Felber. Adam now writes on Real Time with Bill Ma. And uh, I swear to God, I mean, I'm, I'm being a little verbose, but they'd be like, all right, not like time to turn off the Yankees game, everyone that came in here to watch it. Now there's some comedians. I mean, I swear to God, or they'd just keep it on and be like game seven in the World Series. We'd be like, uh, so my roommate uh, borrowed my futon. <laughs> like, Boo, fuck you. We're like, oh, I know we're trying to watch the game too, but... So anyway, but we never heckled the audience because we were like, we know, we know you didn't know we were going to be here and we feel bad for you. We wish there was a way that they could section off the comedy area so that people at the bar, because it was one of those things where there were some people there for the comedy, but there was no delineation. So it was like, if you faced a certain part of the restaurant, it was like, that's the comedy audience, but the people at the bar could still hear you and see you. And so it was just like, oh, so anyway. Okay. So these gals go to a restaurant. There's a musician. They're not there for him. 
She writes, this is an important distinction since the musician didn't seem to understand that himself. Oof. So, of course, he starts to interact with us by asking the bride's name, which he mispronounced all night, making a joke about divorce. It sounds like me when I see bachelor party. And then singing love songs and inserting the wrong female name into them for the rest of the time we were there. One of the bride's friends printed out about 15 photos of the groom's face and glued them to popsicle sticks, and we carried them around with us all day doing goofy things. Okay, I want to kill myself reading this email. You're a fucking good friend. This sounds like my worst nightmare. I'm on your side. I'm just saying this also sounds like my worst nightmare. Now, here's the thing. At comedy clubs, this is what we do backstage when the host comes off stage. What's the audience like? Are there any rowdy people, any birthdays, any... uh any bachelorette parties, not so we can cater to you, but so we can know how to, where the disruption is eventually going to come. Because by the time the headliner's on, everybody drunk. And that's when some ladies are like, ah, God. We assume if you're going to carry around, you know, blinking penis hats that say bride or whatever, that you might want some attention. So sometimes we give it to you if it's just like, oh, we need to get a fucking laugh here or something. Or sometimes we do it just to like, hi, we're throwing you some attention. Please don't interrupt. Are you good? Okay, great. It's like throwing a little meat to the tiger to keep him busy while you walk around his cage. So I can understand from a per, per, perspe- performer's perspective where he was probably trying to cut you guys off at the pass because if you heckled him, he would crumble and die because he's playing a, a establishment where the patrons don't know there's going to be music. That has got to hurt. Does that make sense? There's that horrible line where you're good enough to play in public, but you're not someone who has a fan base yet. And you're just like, mother fuck. You know, he probably felt very, women, you know, men and women, we get insecure when there's a pack of people. We all revert back to, well, we, and we didn't have to revert back to, you know, days when we might've been made fun of in school. It's scary now. But anyway, I'm on your side, but I'm just offering a little perspective. I think he handled it terribly. I read this email in advance, but just a little perspective, you know. I hate when people give me perspective when I'm venting. I'm like, yeah, I know. Shut up. Shut up with your perspective. All right. Anyway. So during one of his songs where he made some false advance on our friend, we jokingly started swaying the groom's heads in the air like lighters at a concert. Okay, you guys sound a little annoying, but it also sounds fun. Like, it's fun, right? Um, at the end of his song on the mic, he goes, Ladies, I was just kidding. You don't have to get so defensive. Oh, thank you for explaining your joke to us dim girls who are swaying faces in the air in such a serious manner. We must not understand humor. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I, to me, it sounds like you're both just having fun. I hate when guys do that. I'm just joking. It's like, oh, it's not that I understand your joke. It's that I either was joking back with you and you're too dumb to get it, or it wasn't funny. Um, So whatever. Our food comes and we start eating and chatting and no longer interacting with Mr. Hilarious. Now, wait a minute. Are you talking during the music? Man, I'm not having, you know, when you read something like later and you're like, wait, am I on your side? Okay. Then, after he plays another song, he again says on the mic, oh, look, now I'm getting the cold shoulder. Way to be passive-aggressive, ladies. This sounds like the fucking episode of Sex and the City where, where Miranda goes to a comedy club and the comic keeps fucking with her and then her boyfriend goes to the, or her date goes to the bathroom and he leaves his phone on the table and the phone starts ringing and the comic is making fun of her and she's like, it's not my phone, it's, it's my dates. And he's like, answer it, answer it. And the audience is chanting, answer it, answer it. And it's the guy's wife calling. And Miranda's like, oh, hell no. And then she, uh, I think, is grateful to the comic or something. I I don't know. I don't remember how it goes. In my fantasy, everyone's grateful to the comedian after. Um, Okay. Uh, Way to be passive. Okay. We didn't go there to see him. We aren't there to entertain him. It made me think of many of the stories you've shared about men getting pissed when you don't get their jokes. Read, they aren't funny. Or when you refuse to interact with them. Now, I, when I first read this email, I was like, yeah. And then I'm like, oh, I kind of get it as a comedian. But I know what you're saying. I wouldn't have quite reacted. There was a little bit of a gendered reaction in the way he reacted to you guys. Faux show. But next time, seriously. And by the way, the venue should be like, just to let you know, there's music there that you're not expecting. Seriously. 
The second instance happened the same night at a bar dance club where a guy asked me to dance. I responded, no thanks, I'm dancing with my friends, to which he responded, you're the worst. (laughs) And then stared at me menacingly for about 10 seconds before adding, I'm not trying to have sex with you, I just want to dance. Again, I get it, bro, still not interested. Also, what about telling me I'm the worst is supposed to change my mind? Ugh, can't a girl just have a night out with her girlfriends without being bothered? No, she can't. No, she can't. Thanks for listening. I wanted to share with someone who gets it. I'm looking forward to seeing your show in September. My girlfriends and I already bought our tickets and we're millennials. Hashtag not all millennials. You probably think it's very millennial of me to use an emoji. Oh my God. Now I feel like an old lady. I use emojis all the time. I didn't even know it was a young person thing. I thought it was a people who have iPhone thing. Like I see, it's so funny because I keep hearing that, that like, I mean, obviously like the, the kind of cell phones I had when I was your age, we didn't have emojis on them, but the minute my phone did, I adapted. So to me, it's like as normal as like the calendar feature or something, but I guess it is like a younger person thing, but everyone I know uses emojis, even like, even like 50 year olds. Gross. My God, why do I look so cute right now when I'm home alone? Do you know what I mean? When you're like, oh, like I just tossed my hair up in a bun and I have this sort of black, it's a slip dress that I just kind of wear as a nightgown. And I just caught myself in the mirror and I'm like, this is like the perfect, like, hey, just running out for the night look. But if I tried to recreate this when I'm actually going out, it wouldn't work. (laughs) You know how it goes. Anyway, well, you and your millennial friends can buy my necklaces coming out. They, all, they say all kinds of fun things. Like, it's, they say, there's like ones, they're all different groups, like ones for ages. You know, it's all based on my over 40 necklace. So there's that. And there's ones about being in your 20s. And th- I think one of them's going to say 20 nothing. One's going to say 30-ish. One's going to say I love me. Another's going to say feminist AF. Another one's going to say boss. Another one's going to say child free. Another one's going to say... Uh, Single, taken, uh, one's going to say laundry day, one's going to say I can't. They're going to be so cute. So I hope everybody gets on board with the necklaces because well, the good news is, is that this uh, jewelry company I'm doing it with, their buyers go to that website anyway, and they don't even need to know who I am as a comic. They just have to like the necklaces. So it's kind of a way for like me to drive my people to them and then their people to discover my jewelry through that. I don't even care if they fucking discover my comedy. Like that's how fucking serious I am into getting a side business. Like, again, I didn't know I was going to have this fan base when I was 43 almost. And I love it. And I want to tour forever, but I am starting to, you know, Oh, actually July, mid, mid July. This will be my 20th year of uh, doing stand up, And, um, yeah. So it's one of those things where it's like, I mean, of course, comedy is my first, love, but it, I didn't know as 20 years went by that one of the things that would change about me is I also wanted to venture into doing fun stuff like that. Like I had no idea, you know? And, um, and the way that I sold it to them was like, you know, in the era of Carrie Bradshaw and Sex and the City, like she had her Carrie necklace, which is great, but women now don't just want to identify by their name. They identify by being proud of their age group, being proud of their relationship status, being proud of their ambition, being proud, you know, or even being proud, but just identifying like, well, I can be identified by many things like my ambition, my this, my that. So just like we can all be part of different groups. And then some of you want to be defined by that. It's laundry day. Um, that's supposed to be like when you're wearing a shitty outfit, you put a necklace on. That's really cute. That says laundry day. How fucking awesome is that? From the brain of Jen Kirkman. Not that I made up the expression laundry day, but come on to put on a fun necklace. You can be kidding me. Okay. This is Greg. He's a man who's against not all men. Hi, Jen. I wanted to write again and say how much I love I Seem Fun. I currently am going through a lot with therapy and your podcast and insights really help me to strive and get better. Well, thank you, Greg. 
Also, I too am annoyed when men try to shut down women's complaints by saying not all men and such bullshit. I think we need to shut up our egos and listen to what the women are saying because whether or not a dude feels he is above it, there's always things you learn about women and what you may be doing to irritate them. At least that has been my experience. And I really like your insights and opinions. I learn and laugh and that makes my life better. Thank you, Greg. Oh, thanks, Greg. Yes, I think, I mean, I relate to it as being a white person. Like, would I ever write not all white people? Of course not. And in a way, yes, it is all white people. Like, I have a privilege that someone of color doesn't have. And I, I know there's a bunch of people out there who go, oh, I don't have a privilege. I, I was brought up poor. It's like, you know, no one's saying you weren't of a lower class. No one's saying you had the privilege of being rich. That's the thing. There's many different levels of privilege, but you have a white privilege just by being able to walk around with white skin. So there's things that haven't happened to you because you have white skin. Now I'm not saying all your dreams came true because you're white. You didn't get into college maybe that you wanted, you know, you you got all bad grades. They didn't go, come on in, you're white. You know, maybe you had shitty jobs and you didn't make it in your career you know, and no one was like, Oh, you suck at what you do. You can't, you suck at surgery, but come on, you can be the head surgeon. You're white. That's not what it means. It means that you get to walk around the world with a sort of comfortability that someone of color doesn't. So you get to, I don't know, even walk into a mosque. Maybe you're going to look at the architecture. Maybe someone else who isn't even Muslim, but who looks like they're Muslim walks into a mosque and people are afraid of that guy in the neighborhood. Ooh, what's he doing? Oh, our neighbor's Muslim. You walk in, it's like, oh, Bill's walking into the the mosque, you know, or Joe is um, running outside of a convenience store late at night. You know, if you were black, then the cops watched you. That'd be a thing. Two of my black friends in comedy um, have both recently tweeted about they're driving really nice cars when they go to LA and cops pull them over literally just to be like, how can you afford that car? I think, (laughs) uh, I mean, it's just... That's what white privilege means. It doesn't mean that you also can't identify with struggle in whatever area it happens to be for you, right? You could be gay, you could be poor, uh, you could be have one leg, it's fine. But there's just the privilege of being white, right? So then there's just a responsibility for being white and going, my people didn't come here in slave ships. Like that's the, if, you, if that's the only thing you could admit to, if you don't want to admit there's anything else that your people have done, It's just like, at the very least, how you got here was not that, okay? So that's all that means. So so we all have to identify and not think of ourselves personally. Like, that's what's so problematic with the not all men and all that stuff is like, I don't write to specific men. I don't just pick one of my followers and go, hey, Steve, um, so this guy harassed me today. What are you going to do about it? And if he's like, well, not all men do that, I wouldn't do that. I could maybe see if he responded that way, but I'm just tweeting into the void. I don't know who follows me. I have hundreds of thousands of followers. <laughs> no big deal. Um, if all of them bought my book, I'd have money. So anyway, I, I will write like, I got harassed today. And someone will relate, not all men are like that. As if I'm dumb. Oh, they're not? Yeah, I know I'm straight. So obviously I'm <laughs> like, oh, am I in a relationship with, with someone who does that? Like, I know, I know you dorks. I know not all men. There's been many wonderful men in my life and there's, I mean, there still are. All the men in my life are the best. They're all on my list of men to save should the great feminist revolution come. And we all get our machine guns and I'm like, hold off ladies. Okay. Anyway. Vegan. Oh, what's this going to be? God, I'm such a bad vegan lately. You know, I've always been the cheating vegan. I, I've always eaten eggs. And then for a while I did stop eating fish because I was like, oh, it's so bad. It's just as bad as if we're doing it for environmental reasons, which I am. It's like really bad to eat fish, you know. But um, I do have, you know, anemic tendencies and I had that fucking pre-diabetes. That's been staving off. I've been doing really well with that. But um, but lately I've been eating, um, Greek yogurt. It's so good for my vag, but I get probiotics other ways, so I don't need to. It's just, I just got into a habit of it, but I shouldn't anyway, cause it's bad for my vocal cord. So I'm just going to have to go back to being vegan. Probably by the time you hear this, I'll probably be vegan again. But, um, I mean, even when I'm not vegan, even it's not that extreme. I'm not like downing like cheese. I'm just sort of having some yogurt here and there, like 
Anyway, all right. Hi, Jen. Don't say my name. Oh, I almost just did. I just ordered both of your books from my local Barnes & Noble. Oh, my God. Look at all these people buying books. You must be rich. I can't wait to see you in Atlanta in November. I can't wait. So when I booked the thing for Atlanta, um, I normally play this place where you have to do like only it's a week, but it only holds like 70 people. And I was like, let's just bang it out in one night. And so I was like, my agent was like, there's two places you can play. One holds 300 people and one holds, I think it's, let me look at it right now. And one holds 700 or something. Hang on. Hold please. <laughs> Why isn't it opening? Here it is. Uh, Atlanta, the variety play was, yeah, it holds 700 people. So my agent was like, uh, I was like, I'm going to take the risk because I haven't been to Atlanta in two years. And I always hear from people come to Atlanta. So Atlanta, buy your tickets. And if you're unable to buy them right this second, then you should tweet at the variety playhouse and tell them I'm planning to buy tickets for the Jen Kirkman show. And I will give you their at address. Hold, please. Tour dates. I'm so organized. It's just that I have so many different lists on my computer that it sometimes had to fucking get to them right away. Oh, I didn't do recently deleted on my notes, did I? What is happening, by the way? All my notes are disappearing. Um, hang on. Oh, my God. I'm about to get global entry, you guys. You can't even deal with it. Here it is. Um, yeah, that's right. That's TSA PreCheck for international, bitch. All right. Here we go. Um, I wasn't able to do that last year, remember? All right, Atlanta Playhouse at VAR Playhouse, Bar Playhouse. Tweet them and be like, I'm not telling you to buy tickets, just not yet. Okay, so this person whose name I can't say, can't wait to see me in Atlanta, blah, blah, blah. I thought you might find my family a fucking laugh. So my father married a woman closer to my sister's age than my sister is to my age. My sister is five years older than me, and I'm 22. Gross. Okay, so her father married a 27-year-old. So, okay, so let's say this guy had a baby at 20. Let's give him the benefit of the doubt. No, let's say 22. Okay. Oh, no, wait. His, her sister is 27. Okay, so let's say this guy had a kid at 22. So 22 plus 27 is 49. Yeah, so 50-year-olds dating, like, someone under 30. That's disgusting. I judge you if you date someone in your 30s and you're 50. You should be dating women in their late 40s. I have a friend who's 50... And she's on Tinder and she's like, I don't know how she sees this. Cause I don't, I don't know how it works, but she either someone showed her, I don't know, but it was like all the dudes on there who are 50, they put, they'll date like 28 to 44. <laughs> it's like, fuck you. And I know there's this myth that guys age better. I mean, some actress said, no, it's just that they're allowed to age. Like in Hollywood, they're allowed to age. So you get the distinguished whatevs. But like in real life, like maybe in Hollywood, like women start to look freakier because they're freaked out and they do plastic surgery and guys don't. So you got like a sexy, like, you know, I don't know, I'm trying to think of an older guy. But, uh, but in real life, I think women age better. Like, like look around your high school reunion. So, like, we're talking about real-life people. Like, a 50-year-old's going to be like, oh, I don't want to date someone my own age. Go fuck yourself. Okay. And if you didn't, ugh, whatever. Anyway, okay, so I thought, let me start again. You thought, I thought you might find my family a fucking laugh. So, my father married a woman closer to my sister's age than my sister is to my age. My sister is five years older than me, and I am 22 gross. So, let's just call new wife the 27 year old. Okay. Anyway, she is a character. She is vegan and I am not. Whenever we go out to dinner, when I'm in town, she is visually offended when I order meat. Yet she recently ordered a husky from Russia to live in Florida. She leaves it outside in the yard most of the time and doesn't try to accommodate the lifestyle it needs. She also just got a leather seated car, but heaven forbid my watch is a leather strap. 
God, it is so uncomfortable. I mean, I could do an hour special about my WAC family. Maybe I'll start a podcast and I'll mention you as my inspiration. Absolutely. Hopefully, someday strange men won't make small talk with us. Thanks for having similar views that motivate me to do the things I only think about me. I don't know what that means. Sorry this is so long. Sincerely, finding humor in my nightmares. That wasn't long at all. She said, would you be interested in an autographed Dave Sedaris? Dave Sedaris. What are you, uh, comfortable with each other? David Sedaris book. I work at a bookstore, so I get some great gems. I wish I would have gotten you Patty Smith's M train. Anyway, if that's a yes, do you have a PO box? No, I don't have a PO box actually. Cause I'm, I would never go pick the shit up there. If anyone ever wants to mail me stuff, you can go to my website and mail it to one of my agents or managers or whatever. But honestly, I don't need any stuff. Like don't send me anything. But if you had to, for some reason, I, people do send me nice cards and letters to my manager's office. I get all of them. I read them and I put them in a little folder and I keep forgetting to open it so I can thank you guys on the air. Um, I mean, I wouldn't say your name if you don't want me to, but, but I actually, I love David Sedaris, but I'm not a big autograph person. I've never really understood it. Um, so no, no, thank you. Um, the only autograph I've really cared about is Joan Rivers and I have like 50 of her signatures everywhere. Uh, one in a book that I had her autograph years ago before we were friendly. And then she wrote me a letter two months before she died. And it's framed in my bedroom because I'm crazy. Um, but no, sell it at the bookstore. Get some money, girl. Okay. What else can we read? Sorry. Fear of driving. Oh, I relate. I used to have one. I don't anymore. I'm telling you, I've got a friend who's 33 and she's like, I'm afraid of this. I'm afraid of that. I go, I'm, remember I told you guys about my psychiatrist who goes, ah, you crash. What? You've had a good life. He meant in planes. I mean, car crashes are way scarier. I've been in a few and, oof, and they've all been, you know, mild, but they were terrifying. But, um, well, I actually have a fear of driving more than I have a fear of flying now. Like for me, the cab ride to the airport is always more harrowing than the flight. And I swear to God, cab drivers have a death wish or just that they don't care either. They never drive well. Um, so I always hire a car service, even though it's a little more expensive and it's like, sometimes it's really not worth it in terms of like why I could have saved 50 bucks, but it's like, I, there's something about the like, I'm going to fucking get in trouble if I don't drive this person correctly. And that cab drivers, I just don't think have. Um, anyway, I don't even know what this, I, I've, I put all these emails together. So at one point I read them, but sometimes I'll wait like months. Hi, Jen. I love your podcast. Okay. I know you may never see this, but I thought I would give it a shot. Oh my God. It's your lucky day. Oh my God. So do you know a couple episodes ago, I will, I will record an episode and stop talking and then be like later when I'm listening back to it to make sure everything's okay. I'm like, oh my God, I didn't even finish that story. There are two stories on my, the last month's podcast that you may have noticed I never finished. So in one episode, I start talking about Davy Jones on the episode of the Brady Bunch. And I say that he comes to town and Marsha wants to go to the prom with him. And he happens to be recording in the local recording studio. And I went on to joke about, or not joke, but just make fun of how there was always a sitcom episode back then that the, the rock star comes to town and he happens to record in the local recording studio as if your suburbs have the state of the art recording studio that rock stars come in. Anyway, that was not the point of that story. And I dropped it off. Um, the point was, fuck, wait, now I forget the, oh, oh, the point was I was singing along. That's right. I was singing along to something. This was two weeks ago. And I was singing along to a song that just fades out. And obviously what happens in real life is the singer is singing it in the recording studio and then the producer fades it out. But the person doesn't go like, I'm going down the street, <laughs> you know, but on the Brady Bunch episode where Davy Jones is singing girl, he's like, girl, look what you've done to me, me and my whole world. And then it just, girl, you're making the morning brighter, girl. And then it just ends and he's like, you're making a better one for me. 
And they're like, print that one, Davey. It's like, well, he didn't fade it out, you dumb fuck. Oh, my God. We have to play this right now. In case you guys, if you guys haven't watched The Brady Bunch, and I know a lot of you millennials haven't, you got to watch the Davey Jones episode on YouTube. And what's really sad is Davey Jones is dead now, and he was so fucking cute. Um, oh, and then you have to read. Hang on one second. Kate Flannery, Davey Jones. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Kate Okay, I'm going to read you this. Oh, this is so good. Okay. So Davy Jones, Brady Bunch. We're going to go down a rabbit hole. Oh, so the other story I started to tell was I started to play uh, a Beck song. I think I was playing Loser or Beer Can a couple weeks ago. The reason I was playing that was because I had a dream about Beck. I think I said that and then I didn't finish the story. I had a dream about Beck where I was in a public bathroom and he walked in and uh, I said, oh, oh my God, I recently rediscovered your early 90s music, which I used to think sucked, and now I love it. And I'm like, I woke up like, why would I say that? That's the kind of shit people say to me, and I get so angry. So in my dream, I was a dick. Okay, oh my God, here it is. Davy Jones, Girl, the Brady Bunch. Oh, it's so good. Okay. Okay, so he's in the recording studio. Wait, let me put on my Bluetooth. Yeah, he nails it on the first take. I mean, of course, they're not going to do a whole episode. They're not going to do a 22-minute sitcom episode that's totally about something else. And they'll be like, we've got to get this realistic. We, we hit the reel-to-reel, and Davey does 15 takes. Well, then it would have to be a two-parter. Well, whatever. We have to be organic. Oh, I love it. So Davey's in the recording booth. <laughs> He's got the best shirt on. Oh, my God, he was so fucking cute. He was like one foot tall, but, you know, I like that. Go. Look what you've done to me. Whoops. Oh, no. If you're like, who's Davy Jones? He was the lead singer of the Monkees, you dumb idiots. And don't be like, the Monkees were stupid. They were fucking awesome and subversive. I don't think they knew they were, or Davy Jones probably wasn't, but Mike Nesmith was. Mike Nesmith actually technically the hottest one. Uh, I, will, I will not only debate you on it, I'll fight you physically about my opinion on that. Sorry, now I'm just going to... You can fast forward it because I think I might just be singing this. But I don't know. If my Bluetooth isn't working, that's something you didn't hear in the 70s. <laughs> Technology went faster than a speeding bullet, didn't it? <gasps> Girl. Look what you've done to me. Me. Let's see if I know the words. And my whole world... I know I could look it up, but I promise I'm not... Girl, you bring the sun to me. I got the tense wrong. With your smile, you you did it, girl. Okay. I'm telling you, girl. I I knew it was, and I hesitated. Something unknown to me makes you what you are. And what you are is all I could ask for me. And it's good to feel that way, girl. Thank you, girl, for making my morning brighter, girl. For making the nighttime nicer, girl. For making a better world for me. Telling you, girl, something unknown to me. Makes all the producers happy. You what you are, and what you are is all that I want for me. And it's good to feel that way, girl. Thank you, girl, for making the morning brighter, girl, for making the nighttime nicer, girl, for making a better world for me. Uh oh, thank fade it out, girl, for making the winter warmer, girl, for making the music softer, what? For making a better world for me. Here we go, listen. 
Oh, maybe they didn't act like he faded it out. Oh, it's not that good of a clip, but it's still a fun clip. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to post it. I'm actually going to be productive. Because a lot of times people are like, what's the link to that? I'm like, I don't fucking know. You look it up, jerks. You know, I get all mad at you. I'm going to put the link. Was that annoying? I had fun. Okay, so Davy Jones was like, you know, he went, I think he went solo after the monkeys, but he was fucking, well, to some of us ladies, he was fucking hot. And on this, day, on this Brady Bunch episode, he was like a dreamboat. Oh, he's such a cute little British. He really does remind me of one of my ex-boyfriends I wrote about in my book. Um, I mean, I dated when I was like 20. I'm not, don't, don't go like telling on me. All right, here we go. So, um, okay. So Kate Flannery, if you don't know her, um, she, uh, was Meredith on the office, the redhead. She's a genius. She's a pal. She's great. She's in a really funny singing duo called The Lampshades. She's got a beautiful voice. So she wrote this thing way before um, she got on The Office called Not Really a Star Fucker. I know you're like, weren't you reading an email? I'll get back to it. So this is really funny. I'll, I'll put the link up there to this too. Um, she was, there was a thing called the, uh, well, I'll read it. The Real Live Brady Bunch used to tour. So here it is. Not Really a Star Fucker by Kate Flannery. And this is on a website called freshyarn.com. I think I actually have an essay up there. Let me just look if I do. I swear, I thought I did. Anyway, I don't even want to look at it. It's probably so bad because this was like more than 10 years ago. Okay. It's not really star fucking if you know that the star is washed up and not going to do anything for your career, Right. In 1993, I was playing the part of Alice in the show, The Real Live Brady Bunch. Audiences would line up around the block to see us dress up and reenact actual scripts of the 70s TV show on stage. I was 28 and profoundly heartbroken over a guy named Doug. So when they asked me to join the National Brady Bunch Tour, going to over 30 cities in a year, I said yes. What happened that year wasn't star fucking. That year, I had sex with a pop star. He was a member of the Fab Four named after simians. Let's just call them the chimps. I had sex with a chimp. One of the chimps and I had sex. It wasn't the drummer. It wasn't the goofy one. And it wasn't the one with the red knit hat. But I don't want to say which one it was. When the British chimp decided to join our tour to reenact his Brady Bunch performance from 25 years before, the cult status of our show hit a new level of what the hell? We were performing reruns with the real guy in the rerun. It was like an acid trip and some days like a cruise ship. The tour went like this. We'd check into a hotel, do the show in a 1,500-seat auditorium for two nights, drive all that night, sleeping on a rock and roll bus once owned by the Almond Brothers with a golden sunset and palm trees airbrushed on it, then arrive in a new city the next morning just in time to do the local morning TV or radio shows. We had great chemistry, me and the former chimp. I'd end each of our interviews pointing at him, looking in the camera and saying, it doesn't get any better than this. On the tour bus, there were 10 cast members, a director, a driver, and a chimp. The bus wasn't the only thing that had seen better days. The first time he kissed me was on the Detroit Morning News. I was dressed in my Carol Brady wig and flowered polyester pantsuit. Wait, at the beginning of the essay, she says she was playing Alice. But she wasn't, because there's a picture of her dressed as Carol. And then she says later she was dressed as Ka- she was playing Carol. I think, she, I think Kate fucked up her own story. All right, she, she was playing Carol Brady. I was actually wondering why she was playing Alice because she would have been, I mean, she's still young, but she would have been a lot younger than I was like, why is she playing Alice? Okay. I was dressed in my Carol Brady wig and floor. The first time he kissed me was on the Detroit morning news. I was dressed in my Carol Brady wig and flowered polyester pantsuit. It's not star fucking. If the star comes after you, the cast members noticed he liked me when they saw him carrying my tray from the salad bar to the table at Shoney's or the truck stop. I'd protest, he doesn't like me. It's just the English-Irish thing. My dad owned an Irish bar. He drank in English bars. But I made him laugh, and he made me giddy. After a week of sexual tension and late-night drinks, the pop star made his move on me at the Quality Inn in Bloomington, Indiana. The next morning, I woke up to the sound of his guitar strumming at the foot of the bed. He looked at me and said, I feel inspired. 
Then he's saying, I'll love you this year. I'll love you next year. I'll love you forever. Well, I could hardly breathe. I couldn't believe that one of the chimps was singing to me. I was blown away. He was so charming and so sweet, and I felt so special. How many girls had dreamed of this moment? I had watched reruns of his TV show in the second grade. My inner seven-year-old was thrilled. During every show, I'd help him on with his jacket in the dark backstage before his big scene. I watched him strut on stage and sing, Girl, look what you've done to me every night. He'd always catch my eye and wink at me in the middle of the finale. He could eat dinner with any woman in the world, but he chose to eat with me sometimes. Often I'd offer to pay just to keep it in check. I had women's studies classes in college in the late 80s. He bought me a choker that matched the Indian outfit he bought himself to crack up his drinking buddies at the pub in England. In Flint, Michigan, in the throes of passion, the chimp sang in my ear, Here we come. That was pretty cool. I got to hang out with him in his dressing room while he autographed eight by tens of himself wearing a lavender leather vest and a David Lee Roth mullet. He couldn't remember the name of his, this fan who had seen him perform 22 times that year, so he just wrote, To my lady, I love ya. And I got to hear all his private personal stories before he'd repeat them to everyone else on the bus the next day. His star power may have dwindled in Hollywood, but you'd never know it touring the country. The Ohio toll booth guy went nuts when he saw him. Outside a St. Louis liquor store, a homeless man lit up like a Christmas tree. People would ask me to take their picture with him, even in the frozen food aisle of a supermarket in Kalamazoo. We'd hear the chimps songs in every town, restaurant, and store. I was with the daydream believer guy. At every venue, these two middle-aged ladies would sell his T-shirts. They looked like PTA moms. One of them had a 12-year-old son who bore a striking resemblance to my pop star. I was sure she would do anything for him, anything. Then there was his fan club who came out of the woodwork. These 40-something-year-old female fans would drive three, four, and five hours to catch his act. They showed up with roses, cameras, and motel keys. I would make myself look busy, like I wasn't waiting around for him, but I was. They were the star fuckers, not me. The pop star was 20 years older than I, separated from his second wife, and had four daughters. I knew he never belonged to me. He belonged to the world. No promises, no demands. Two weeks and six cities later, on a night before a two-week break in the tour, he was drunk, and he picked a fight over. He picked a fight with me over nothing in a bar. He said in that British accent, Do you know who you're fucking talking to? Do you know who you're fucking talking to? As his anger swelled, I imagined him doing his signature daydream believer dance the whole time. Do you know who you're fucking talking to? Do you know? You're not fucking talking to Dudley Moore. You're not fucking talking to Peter Noonan of Herman's Hermits. Do you know who you're fucking talking to? Good question. I did not know who I was fucking talking to or who I was fucking for that matter. I waited till I got home to my room at the Holiday Inn to cry. Starfuckers put up with this shit? The other 10 people on the bus who we spent every waking moment with were a little more aware of what was going on than I thought. I came back to the show after our two-week break and received some advice from the guy who played Greg Brady in our show. Don't wait around for the pop star anymore. So I didn't. Well, guess who kind of started waiting around for me? Guess who winked at me during the finale again and took me to dinner and gave me a charm that said love ya? And guess who woke up the next morning in Slippery Rock, Pennsylvania at the Best Western to the sound of the guitar strumming at the foot of the bed again? He looked at me and said, I feel inspired. Then he sang, I love you this year, I love you next year, I love you forever. Had he forgotten that he felt inspired by me four weeks before? The last time I saw my pop star was a year later. He was shaking his tambourine at a balloon and cheese festival in Temecula, California. We were not alone that day. Besides my new boyfriend, the former chimp had about 25 women there waiting for him. He was busy autographing those familiar 8x10s next to the petting zoo. I found myself waiting in that line to say hi to him. The 40-something-year-old fan club was out in full force. The t-shirt ladies were working at their usual proximity to the pop star. And near the cheese display was the fan, also known as Milady. All the usual suspects. When I got to the front of the line, it actually took him a minute to place me. He gave me a hug, but he seemed so guarded and awkward. How could I have put myself in this position? We weren't on the road anymore. We weren't on a rock and roll bus anymore. We weren't doing sellout shows, no radio and TV interviews. We were not the toast of every small town or spending every waking moment 10 feet away from each other anymore. We were not anything anymore. I don't even think he remembered my name anymore. I thought, do you know who you're fucking talking to? He had moved on, and I had definitely moved on. I was no longer a star fucker. 
motherfucker. I grabbed my boyfriend, Minnie Pearl's godson, and went home. Oh, I love that essay. I think it's so great. Anyway. Huh. Okay. Sorry, fear of driving. Hi, Jen. I've been living in Chicago for four years without a car and recently got a job offer in New Orleans, where I'm originally from. I'm excited to be back in New Orleans, close to lots of my friends and family. However, I have hardly driven during the time I've been in Chicago. As I've been here, my driving has become less and less frequent. My job in New Orleans will require me to commute about 25 to 30 minutes each day, and I'm having severe anxiety about it. I've spent the last weeks finishing up work and packing and officially moved down there tomorrow and start my job next week. I probably haven't driven in about a year. I wish I wouldn't have let myself go for so long because now the fear is completely built up. I'm sure you won't see this before I have to drive again. Nope. But I know my fear won't go away right away. I loved your episodes when you discussed getting over your fear of flying. I was wondering if you have any advice that would help me get over my fear of driving. Thank you so much and take care, Laura. Well, Laura, I've got advice for you. So I don't love driving. And a couple years ago, I had to drive on a tour throughout the Midwest by myself. And I had some friends come with me and my ex, the Australian, and my friend Brooke. And, um, but there were a lot of dates I had to drive alone. And luckily, it was like, what I don't like about driving, like, I don't know exactly what your fear is, but like in LA, we've got the six lane freeways. It's a whole thing. But like in a two lane road, that doesn't scare me. So like, if you're just driving one of those two lane little things, like, I don't even know what to tell you except like, come on, dude. But I think like you, you don't even realize what you said. You said, I wish I wouldn't have let myself go for so long because now the fear is completely built up. And that's the key to it. You let yourself go. You didn't practice which is fine, but we need to be able in life to adjust. So in the future, now you'll know next time you don't do something for a long time, don't turn it into a scary thing. If that makes sense. Like, you know, um, if I don't visit New York, I'll go like six months without taking the subway. And then I could, I suppose panic every time I get back on it, but I don't make it a scary thing. It's like driving used to be a part of, it's like, I mean, sometimes you have to play tricks on yourself and be like, I'm a grown-up lady. And you know what? I used to drive. And then I moved to Chicago and I took public transportation. But these are all my skills. I can drive. I know how to orient myself on public transportation. I have all these skills. And they're still top of mind to me. It's not like, oh, I used to drive and now I don't and I'm scared. You can choose. Like, you might be afraid, right? Like, fear is not about not being... uh, Bravery is not about not being afraid. It's like being afraid and doing it anyway. So you've got the skills. So now you just have to like trick yourself and act as if, as they say in 12 step, act as if you're not afraid because you're going to be afraid even if you're going to be afraid no matter what, right? So you get to choose. The only thing you get to choose in the situation is your own thoughts. you right. You never have any control. You didn't have any control when you were in public transportation or in the back of a cab in Chicago. You don't have any control on the road now and you didn't have any when you were comfortable driving. So get that out of your head. So great. Everything is the same in that sense, okay? If you want to be really cheesy, I don't even care if you're an atheist. Like, I, I'm, like, I know there's no, like, traditional God. I think everyone who wrote any kind of great text got it wrong, and I think we are all God, and I think we're all, whatever. But sometimes I just like to picture, picture an angel flying above you and blessing your car. Like, get to the bottom of what you're afraid of. You know, like, are you afraid of crashing? Okay, we'll talk yourself through it you know, you can do as much as you can do to prevent that. And then it's like, okay, what are you afraid of someone hitting you? Like, okay, well then think of all the other times in your life where you walk around where you're not afraid of someone suddenly just like doing something to you, you know, and you just have to make a decision. And, and also there's just the act of repeating it over and over. I mean, that's, if I didn't have to fly every year, I can't tell you that I would necessarily have success getting over my fear of flying. It's really hard. Like you said, when you go a year without doing something and I used to only fly once a year and it's very ironic that my fear of flying really started to go away when I started flying a lot. So eventually you just get used to it and you're just like, you know what? I'm I'm tired of being panicked over this. Now, I don't know if you take any prescriptions at all, but if you're truly panicking while driving, even if you took like a half a Klonopin, half a Xanax, half a whatever, because it, it's going straight to the source of panic. It's not like you're going to be like high and falling asleep when you're driving. You might want to do that. Or you might want to have some lavender tea or just like anything to calm you when you're driving. Um, put anything on in the car that soothes you, like some kind of self-help tape or like a soothing music. And tell yourself like, I don't know if you're on the freeway, but come up with a plan. Like 
a plan to like stop every 10 minutes. If you have to like give yourself an hour to get to work. Like my psychiatrist, the one who's like, you've lived a good life. He'll say things like we're going on a, what did he call it? He called it like, we're going on easy breezy road trip. I forget adventure time or something. He's like, I'm on adventure time, but here's the thing. I can't drive straight through adventure time. So I make time to stop. So it's like, yeah, maybe you stop. There's like a pull off and you go to the Starbucks and McDonald's or whatever. And you get a decaf, you know, like don't do things to make your nerves crazy. Like don't be hungover. Don't be drinking coffee. Like maybe save the coffee for when you get to work. You know, anything you can do for your nervous system. But I also think it's just like, you've got to like, you're, you just told me you have a fear of driving. That's a little vague in a weird way because it's like, what is the fear exactly? So like, tell yourself that and then just talk out loud, take yourself down the rabbit hole. Well, if that happens, what, that, what, what's next? If that happens, what's next? What's next? What's next? You're just going to get to, well, I don't have any control over it, which is where we begin and where we are every moment in life. So will you write back Laura and let me know how it's going? And I promise I won't wait so long to return the, um, sentiment and I sentiment. I seem fun at gmail.com. All right. Hey, you know what? I think that's the hour. <laughs> Sorry. I just didn't want to, there's a whole email. I could get into a whole thing. Let's not, let's leave it. We let's leave on a good note and not start something new. Enjoy. If you're American, enjoy your 4th of July holiday. And, and I, you know me, I don't like barbecues. I don't like patriotic shit. I mean, I'm patriotic, which is, you know, I'm not going to get into politics. But I'm not like cheesy patriotic, like the flag and burgers. And if you're not American, just have a great day anyway. Until next week, have fun. Look what you've done.